here on the West Coast, Saturday night, May 28th, year 2011, I'm Wong Hughes, hope you're all doing well out there, and we're going to have Dwayne Killstrip monthly presentation to kick off the show, then after that the Radio Association, Radio Historical Association of Colorado, their monthly presentation, and Patricia and I will join you, so I hope all of you are having a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. I uh, hope you think about the uh, people who have sacrificed to give us wonderful blessings in the country or freedom. And I think, let's say a prayer. Dear Lord, look after those at this time of the season who have lost loved ones in serving the country, especially in the military. Those who have relatives have fought in Korea and Vietnam and World War II and World War One. 
but the families of the people who are serving today. As we think about all the soldiers and stations all over the world protecting our freedoms. We're so grateful to have them do that for us, Lord. Bless all the listeners and supporters who look after the station. Bless Kim Bragg and Bill Bragg and Mike Handy, everybody who got, who work and guide and volunteer to keep this thing going. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Bye, everybody. Here's Dwayne's monthly presentation. I want to ride on the 310 to you. Hi friends, once again, this is Fraggy Lane. I want you to know that you're listening to Dr. Dwayne Keelstrup, good friend of mine, on Yesterday USA. Texas, welcome to Song and Smile Time on Classics and Curios. Song and Smile Time will showcase a variety of special vintage entertainment, such as collector comedy from old-time radio, great bands from the 20s through the 40s, and classic singers and groups from the 50s. On occasion, we'll spotlight classic country and cowboy recordings, as well as music, interviews, and backstage stories from the archives of the late and beloved DJ Eddie Hubbard, including Eddie's wonderful big band browsers shows spanning over a quarter century in radio history. Well, as you know, uh, lots of shows are called special, and if special means far beyond good, then today's show is truly special. Why? Because it features the legendary DJ Eddie Hubbard, a close friend of Frankie Lane's, by the way. Well, Eddie gained fame as a radio... Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for OTR from the Rockies. From the foot of the Rockies in Denver, Colorado, here's a program capturing the drama and fun of the golden days of broadcasting. Old-time radio from the Rockies. Hello, this is Fred Hobbs. I'm speaking to you from the radio studios of RHAC, the Radio Historical Association of Colorado, 
and we're here to bring you interviews, historical information, book reviews, events, and fun for all on old-time radio, especially related to the Rocky Mountain region because that's where we're located. You know, folks, from time to time, uh, we let you know that there is a complete catalog of old-time radio material, and uh, that's uh, in the uh, archives of the Radio Historical Association of Colorado, but an opportunity for you to avail yourself of uh, the material that's in there. And uh, we bring in our expert on all of this, uh, as far as the catalog is concerned and the current items involved there. Barrett Benson is the man who comes and talks to us about it. So, Barrett, what do we have this time? Well, we're continuing on from our last catalog pages, and we're going to do Crime Classics, which was a Elliot Lewis production. Old-time radio from the Rockies to be heard here on Yesterday USA. Now, this is Fred Hobbs, your online host, saying goodbye and good radio. This is RHAC, the Radio Historical Association of Colorado. You promise we're here? Do you promise? I promise on my little bitty, itty bitty, witty, itty heart. Hanky promise? I promise. Hanky promise. Hi, everybody. It is no longer Saturday on the <laughs> East Coast. It is Sunday yes. on the East Coast. So happy Saturday, everybody. Happy Sunday, anybody who is with me on the East Coast. 
And we got some good stuff for tonight. Everybody on the East Coast, will you please stand up and wave? That way we can count. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, standing up is fine. You don't even have to wave. Oh, okay. There's one of us here. That's true. I think there's more than one. So how you doing? Did well, you have a good week? Had a great week. Had a good day. Dad and I played some cribbage tonight. And he came back to beat me. Uh-huh. And been last two days started uh started a book where I won in the yesterday USA raffle two years ago, the uh the diaries of Ronald Reagan. He was one of only five presidents to keep a daily diary. When he even when, that one time before, uh, is it how how abridged is it? It's eleven it is eleven CDs. So they t- had to bridge some, so but at least I'm getting a pretty good Thumbnail sketch. They didn't put every single day in there, mm-hmm. but uh, it's pretty. It's pretty remarkable. Get the see what it would have been like to be president of the United States. How how many CDs have you listened to so far? I I I've done three. I covered 1981, 82, and 83 within the last uh, 24 hours. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of listening. Yep. So that's that's. Out of those three years, what was the most Fact that you came across. I had no recollection. I don't. I did not know that Muammar Gaddafi had a hit on Ronald Reagan at two different separate occasions. He had a what? He he put out a personal hit. Oh oh oh! Gosh, yes, he did. I did not. He did it twice. In in 1982, I did not know that. Yeah, Gaddafi's not a nice person. No, no, that's what my. <laughs> He's not a nice man. No, that's right. So I, I thought, considering what he's going through today and looking back, to, you know, almost 20, 30 years right earlier, they still see him in the headlines in the other Reagan uh, notes. He's, he's never been out of the headlines. Uh-uh. No, no. So I totally... He I not be the most lovable, but he's been one of the most endurable. Oh, yeah. So I that I don't remember that happening back in them days, but... uh. That's what surprised me. So that one surprised you. It, it did. Also, they they had the name of the so the, the first name of the so-called assassins, the person that was going to take Reagan out. So they the CIA had a pretty good tab who were going to be. They're going to make the attempt. So it was it's it's, it's fun it's, it's it's fun looking back at those days and to have they have the gift to seeing what uh what was Reagan's viewpoint. You know, uh-huh. they're going through the daily, the daily, uh, yeah, the daily stuff. Yeah, that'll be fun. But Reagan, uh, George Washington kept kept the daily diary. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, I found it, and then they said that Truman and Eisenhower kept partial diaries at short periods of time. I have a book by Truman. It's a memoirs book. Mm-hmm. Truman and has never really gotten through the entire thing, and I keep walking past it. So I had to pull that off the shelf and and finish reading that. I think it was a it was a pretty good account with dates and this is uh this is me. I think um you know I think that might have been the Truman the book that Truman wrote after he left the White House. He yes everybody he he was an honest politician. He did not take anything with him, you know, and he was worried about that. That's why he wrote the book. Well, it's a it's a great book. It's called um, Off the Record: The Private Papers of Harry S. Truman, and it was published in. This is not a new book by any means. No. It was published in 1980, or it was copyrighted. In copyrighted. 1980. Wow. 
Hmm. So, I've been reading, playing a little card, playing some radio shows, took an afternoon nap. That way I'll be totally fresh and be with Patricia until 8, 8 o'clock in the morning, or whatever we're going to decide to have breakfast. And stuff like that there. And here you are. Here I am. Well, that's nice that you, you decided to get all bright-eyed and bushy tails for us. Uh-huh. I wouldn't. Boy, I've got stuff for you. You do? Uh-huh. We've got our trivia questions for tonight. Good. We've got a theme. Good. Good. History notes, useless but fun tidbits of information. Tonight, I have useful useful and fun tidbits of information. Oh, uh, how to make money by well, not working. How to save it, too. We <laughs> <laughs> had to save it in these uh, economic austerity times. Um, and we have our weekly try to stump Walden question. I have one. I, you're, you're awfully good. I, you just blew me away with the Richard Crenna question last week. I asked Walden, in case you missed it, <laughs> what Richard Crenna's entry into radio was, and you never skipped a beat. You never hesitated. What did you tell me? I said with the Boy Scout Jamboree, which was a local show on, on the radio station KFI. I'm going to have to find some New York local shows. Well, I wouldn't make any difference. You'd know them too, but you just blew me away. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sort of unnerved here. You, you, you made me lose all of my confidence. So I've got <laughs> a question for you, and maybe I'll get you this week. P.S. What? You know, last week we were trying to decide on our uh, first show of our two shows. Uh huh. I think you have it because, because. They want, we were trying to look for a show everybody to have a Memorial Day theme, but it was listed under two different titles. So I listened to the show. It was the second title of the same show? Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. But I went ahead and listened to it and made our own trivia questions if we wanted to go that route for that. You made out some trivia questions for it. Well, uh-huh. how interesting. Yeah. I thought we would, um, if we could... Do that one first? Yes, that's what I thought. Oh, that's great. We've got a great Gildersleeve show and a Fibber McGee and Molly show tonight. We're kind of mixing up our shows a little bit, and I think that's good. Um, the one that Walden picked is a Memorial Day show mm-hmm. with the great Gildersleeve, and he thought, and I agree, it just would be a perfect time for it. Yep, because there's not that many shows out there with a Memorial Day theme. No, no, and I certainly... Day theme, which is kind of interesting because Johnson's Wax, the um, S.C. Johnson and Company, was so supportive of the troops, the um, just uh, uh, war efforts. They were so so wrapped up in this, and well, yeah, we were talking. And I mean, we're, yeah, I'm talking all of the years that Johnson supported the show and sponsored the show, and there's nothing in the aftermath. I mean, they, they supported the troops, they supported the shows, they had um, Army and Navy and Marines and Coast Guard show up on the show, and no Memorial Day show. Maybe they, is there a Veterans Day show? I don't think so. I don't think there is. 
goodness. I hadn't thought about it in mm -hmm. those terms before. Nope. There's not too many 4th of July shows floating in the hobby. Go to one and go to sleep, and that's about the only one I know of, because most, most of the shows would have been off during that time of the year. Mm-hmm. But they all had replacements. True. True. How interesting. The patriotic holidays were not observed. Yeah, well, occasionally, you know, there was a George Washington show. I think there was one with Great Gillespie and things like that, but you're right. Not too often. Again, maybe they had special shows that preempted stuff those yeah, days. Yeah, I guess Norman Corwin was the only one who did it regularly. Mm -hmm. How interesting. Well, anyway. 714-545-2071. We're live. We're waiting for a friend, Nolan Kenner, who gave me a heads up. He's going to call us. Pretty close to the top of the show. Uh, but we have phone lines open throughout the night. We're going to be up and awake. And. Yes. Stuff like that there. Ah, ah. I am behind on my mailing with um, with CDs. So I'm, I'm begging forgiveness. Well, I asked what I did. I, I applied for Franklin privileges for Patricia. It hasn't quite come <laughs> in yet. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> Posted. Yes. I'm not sure Congress would go for that. Well, but we're, we're, we are saving Americana. We are, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> That's what they call it now? Oh, uh, well, <laughs> why not? We are. We're, we're the keeper of the flame. We're the keeper of the Americana. Keep, American history. Keeper of the flame. Sounds like something that belongs on the shadow. Well, that's a normal, that's a normal coin one. Keeper of the flame? Yeah, that's it got to be the, ever the phrase he coined. Yeah, first time I ever heard him use. Yeah, keeper of the flame. Hmm, interesting. Mm -hmm. That at different times for my whole little life. Well, wow. anyway, um, until I get my franking privilege. <laughs> 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 I think that's awfully nice of you. Who are you going to apply to? Uh, anybody who's willing to give it to us. Or maybe I could just send my stuff to my congressman and ask him to send it out. Why not? I think it has to be official business. How, how am I? Uh, I'm sure it does. I mean, they, they don't have mailing privileges just for the heck of it. It has to be business oriented. Well, we can put in a uh, we can put in a, a note to donate to to. Would you take your one dollar deduction from the IRS and donate to Yesterday USA? No, it has to be work-related. <laughs> oh, gee. Well, we could we could we, night tonight. We, we could we could put in there that we're campaigning to uh, to unlock the Library of Congress and get more old-time radio shows out for the hobby. Or yeah, perhaps we could tie it into the 2012 elections because that's about the only thing we can connect to with these people. I mean, it has to be their business, not our business. <laughs> you know, I mean, it really has to be congressional business. So yeah. you're going to have to come up with something good. I'm not sure it's worth it. I'll go buy stamps. Um, I think it's easier if I just go buy stamps. We, we'll fundraise. We'll fundraise for Wall and Patricia. We're running for office. Well, you have to be in office before you... <laughs> Good night, nurse. Well, 
We're running for office in order to get Franklin privileges. That's all we're asking for. I think the people, we the people. Yes. We the people. Yes. Would be doing the world a great service if they just gave us franking privileges and said go away. <laughs> Other to run for office. What do you think? I want to run. I'm ready to run. You know, won't they let me go out and play on the weekend with Patricia? I'm ready to run. Uh-huh. I'm not sure that's going to fly in Peoria, kid. Oh, I think it would. Uh, I think I think Peoria, I think Peoria would vote for it, because that's the home of Amy and Annie and, and Phil McGee and Molly. They would vote for us. It ain't going to play in Peoria. Oh, it, how do you know? That was a vaudevillian term. It didn't play in Peoria. So Peoria must have been a major stop on the vaudeville t- tours. Or another vaudeville city. They love me in St. Joe. St. Joe, Missouri. Uh-huh. That was another va- famous vaudeville. Or, you know, what was what the big goal? What was what the big goal that all the villains wanted to do? They wanted to survive. I know. I don't know. They wanted to play. What what, what theater did they always, what was the uh, marquee? Oh, gosh. They wanted so to play. They wanted to play. Uh Oh, it's it's in. Uh, help me here. It's gonna kill me if I. I know. Go ahead. It, oh. It's New York. Yeah. They wanted to play the. What? They wanted to play the palace. The palace. The theater? palace. Yeah, that was the that was the big. That was the big one in New York. It's yeah. not the one I would have come up with. No, but that's that was always the goal. Involved. If I could play the palace. Mm-mm-mm. All right. Now, what does? It won't play in Boston means. Now we're already into our expressions, and this one just hopped into my head when we were talking about Peoria. It won't play in Boston. What does that refer to? I don't know. Boston historically had the most rigorous censor Right. I knew it did for music. I wasn't thinking of uh, of vaudeville, but yeah. Uh, It won't... um, it may have been for movies and plays. Yeah. I'm not sure it mm-hmm. was in vaudeville, but that's mm-hmm. where the expression mm-hmm. came from. It won't play in Boston mm-hmm. if if something was even dancing on the edge, and then it became an expression. Yep. Never now, get it. Never get it out there. It won't play in Boston. Here's another vaudeville trivia. I, what was the best place to be? You generally in vaudeville they had six shows or five or six acts that made up a show. What's, where would where would the where did the star perform? Well, it wasn't at the end. No. Nope. People would be going home by then. Right. Number two, probably. Second to the end. Second to the end. Yeah, that was where the that was where your headliner should be. Well, for goodness sake. Yeah. Why? Well, maybe they, maybe the first four shows they could they the. Uh, people, they, you know, the theater sold the merchandise, but at the last show, people w- wanted to get out, so they didn't huh. stick around for the last, the last show, Wait, the, the last today's, act. In today's live performances and concerts, you have a warm-up act. Right. One, just one. Just one. Yeah. Just one. What time did the doors open, and what time? Did the performers finish up usually? Well, usually in Vaudeville, they had like, three to four acts a day, so they would start in the morning. So you would have a morning show, an afternoon, and I guess an early evening and nighttime show. In that case, fourth on the on the billet would be perfect. Mm-hmm. 
That would that would put them in early evening or mid evening when people would have come home from work, been finished with dinner, mm-hmm. out to do something. Instead of going to the movies, they could go to a vaudeville act. Yep. And that would be the perfect one. That makes sense. Yeah. No? Yeah. But can you imagine they were open all day practically? So a vaudevillian sometimes had four four acts a day. So it, it probably was like um, Nolan's movie where you show up in the morning, you pay your 10 cents or 7 cents or 15 cents, and you can stay there all day. Mm-hmm. So if you paid to get in in the morning, you didn't have to go home until nighttime. And some... Blow a day. Yeah. And some and, and in some movie theaters, they actually came with a live show. You could go see a big band, like uh-huh. uh, Frank Sinatra singing with Tommy Doyle, and have a, a movie afterward. Or else, when Mickey and Judy would have come on in, in New York City, they would put on a show and play a foot, then run the movie after them. Well, for pity's sake. Yeah. I mean, for pity's sake. I know. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's good stuff. Great promotion. 714-545-2071. Up and about. And thanks for hanging in with us. We're here. We're up and about. Yeah. We have some leftover trivia questions. Uh huh. You want to do the leftovers first? They're always good yeah, as a warm up. Leftovers. Let me see what we got here. Trivia. Okay. Stuff that's in green. We've already asked and nobody answered yet. Okay. You tell me if somebody's answered these. These are really big ones. I think I ought to save these two for. For the Johnny Mathis CD. Okay, we can say that. So I'm going to skip the first two. Okay. Uh, we do not yet know what Andrew H. Brown's middle name is. I know that one. I know you know that one. Uh, you know everything. Uh. Except maybe the answer to my question tonight. Okay. We have which of the of the hard-boiled detectives opened the show with most of his shows, not all of them. Get this and get it straight. <laughs> Crime is a sucker's... <laughs> You know that one, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Okay. Um, this one I have to cross out because I know somebody got it. So hold on. Let me make that one red like it's supposed to be. Um, and green, green, green. Okay. In the voyage of the Scarlet Queen, Elliot Lewis played the captain of the vessel. What was the captain's name? We haven't gotten that one back mm, that, yet either. That's a good one. Yeah. And in Lum and Abner... Lum was a bachelor, and Abner was married. Who was, or what was the name of Abner's wife? That's good. That's a goodie. And I think those are the only ones we have outstanding. I do have other questions. I've got loads of other questions, as a matter of fact. Maybe I have some outstanding in the comic books as well, or the comics, period. Let me see. Nope, the comics are all, all up to snuff. That one's taken care of. That one's taken care of. So I got lots of comics questions, Sunday comics and comic books, and old-time radio trivia, and stuff like that there. Uh-huh. And Walden is going to tell us how to do something that I forgot to ask last week. Uh-oh. one <laughs> Give us a call. I've got some questions. We want to say hi. First-time callers, you automatically get some radio shows, and you 
might also have to be a little bit patient with me because I'm behind on my mailing. And, and, and don't expect any mail on Monday, everybody? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it'd be tough. But if, right. It won't, it won't come. It won't come Monday, so. Well, we have a theme for tonight, but I'm going to ask you your question first. Okay. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Sure. How do you go shopping for a watermelon? Well, I I look for a grocery store that carries them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Then we walk in, <laughs> Then we walk into the grocery store and I go to the manager. I said, "You mind if I can test this out?" Hopefully, he said yes. Then we pick up a watermelon and we look for a bowling alley. And we roll it down. If it doesn't crack in two, then I know I can take it home. If it does crack in two, I'll bet he'll make you take it home, too. <laughs> Did I ask you this last week about how to go shopping for a watermelon? Well, we talked about We the, talked about it on the phone. We ta- And I think we did it over the year. You told people you were a thumper? Uh-huh. Well, because ha- cause Harwood, remember, Harwood di- didn't think that was... That was def- oh, that's right. He looked for the stems. You're right. Yeah. I apologize. No, I didn't think... I didn't think... I cross that one off. Shame I, on me. I think that's a goodie. Yeah, he looked he looked for stems, mm-hmm. back, but now they don't leave stems on watermelons <laughs> anymore, so he's doomed. He is doomed. I am also a thumper. So we've got a theme tonight. What's the theme? We talked about this last night. Hmm. Hmm. and I talked about this last night. Yes. Um, it was something that Dennis recalled uh, that I had said about rationing, mm-hmm. that tomato products were rationed. And he thought that it was tied to um, encouraging people to grow Victory Gardens, number one, and that production, it would reduce demands on production. And I, I you thought it was the canning. Yeah, I thought it was save, the save, uh, the tin can, kicking mm-hmm. out the minerals. And you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. It was the cans and the metals. Uh, people were being told, make sure you recycle these things, but it, it was a whole lot better if they didn't have to get them to begin with <laughs> in order to recycle. So it, it was a combination of things. They needed the metal for munitions and for wartime construction, manufacturing of everything. People, of course, were encouraged to grow Victory Gardens, and that included tomato goodies like ketchup and tomato juice. I have I have my list of, let me see, my list of World War II rationing info. Now, they, I picked up some stuff on here that surprised me. I didn't recall from when we have talked before. Are you ready? Let's do it. What do you got? I've got that in Canada, meat rationing was started in May 1943. In May 1944, the United States removed meat from rationing except steaks and and certain beef cuts. Okay. 1944. All right, so that was in May of 1944, and then in December... Of 1944, the United States put all cuts of beef of meat back on the rationing list. 
Why did they have that break in between? They must have had a really good um, crop of, of uh, cows. Cows. I'm mean, just thinking. I don't think pork was ever racing. I don't think so either. Yeah. I don't know about turkey and, or uh, chicken. Don't know about that. But they must have had an extra crop of cat, uh, moo-moos around that could do the that you could go by and swipe a hunk of meat off and it maybe grew faster. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I thought it was kind of interesting that, that they would take a break from... Mm-hmm. I didn't thought, think they took any kind of a break from rationing. Absolutely. I never heard of it, Patricia. Well, if it's it looks like it was a pretty official site that I got this from. Uh, it, it, it's titled Global, Global World War II Rationed Items List and Timeline. And it's got all sorts of nifty stuff in here. But uh, be that as it may, it really it surprised me when I went back and really paid attention to this. Um, and so many of the countries were doing that. Germany had food rationing starting in 1939. Great Britain started in 1939. Great Britain had bacon, sugar, and butter added to the list in 1940. Uh, 1939 for Great Britain was meat. Um, in February 1941, Japan started rationing rice. June 1941, uh, they, Britain declared they were preparing to ration clothing. 42, the United States did gasoline. Oh, it only began in 17 states. Now, I did not know that. I thought they did the whole Megillah all at, all at the same time. Yeah, that, that's, that's fascinating. I had no idea. They started, it doesn't say which wow. 17 states, so now I have to go out and do more <laughs> homework. I make the homework for myself. You guys don't have to do anything to me. Uh, meatless days. Uh, started with Roosevelt in 1942, and actually the, the meatless days were a holdover from 19 uh, from uh, World War One. They had wow. meatless Tuesdays or meatless Fridays. They had a meatless day of the week in World War One. So this was a resurrection of a program. This was not a new program. How about that? It makes you wonder what American today be willing to make that kind of sacrifice. Well. In the, in the practical sense, they would have to if it were mm-hmm. dated and, and you couldn't buy anything without stamps. But the attitude would certainly be different. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting conscious. I, you know, I am getting so good about conservation and recycling. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good recycler. If it's paper, it goes in my paper bin, and I take that when it gets full, I take it to the recycling bin. Right. And I do the same thing with glass and plastics and metal and stuff like that. Stuff like that there. Mm-hmm. But I have now read in several places that if your car is running for more than 10 seconds, you're wasting gas. People have said for years, well, I'll wear down my battery or it takes more more gas to start the car than it does to let it run? Uh-huh. The answer is no. If you're running it for more than 10 seconds, you're starting to really gobble up gas. Hmm. So I, when I sit in line, like at the drive-in at the, at the um, pharmacy, right? I, I turn the engine off. I'll leave the radio on and listen to the radio, and I'll hmm. turn the engine off, mm-hmm. and I save like 15 minutes worth of gas just sitting in line. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that really is making a significant difference, but I feel better that I'm not paying to 
let it go up in, in the air, you know? Sure. So um, that's that's my attitude with being cautious, but I'm not sure I would... I would be out there with drums and bells on my shoelaces if somebody told me I couldn't buy. What 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 wouldn't I be able to buy that would really make me upset? Coffee. Mm-hmm. Coffee. Mm-hmm. And and that was ration, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Hello there. You're on air. Hi, you guys. There you are. How you doing? This is Dennis. Hi, Dennis. How you doing, Dennis? I just couldn't resist. You heard your name. I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> oh, what I couldn't resist was your comment about turning your engine off. Yeah? Yeah. Think about another thing. Oh, dear. <laughs> when, you, when you turn off your engine and restart it, you're wearing out your starter. And all the components, all the other components, you let them settle down. Uh, Think about a light bulb. What wears out a light bulb? Just a normal incandescent. I don't worry about fluorescence yet. Well, you know, turning it off and on, of course, wears, wears out. Yeah, and how much energy does it take when your starter gets worn out to make a new starter? Do you know the last Make all that metal, you have to find it. You know, so, and I've asked automotive engineers about this. And they are very vague. No one will answer that question. Which is better, running the engine or turning it off? I have a question for you. Well, I, I don't know. I've read this in a couple of places, and they look like reputable studies. They had, you know, I mean, they, they were from reputable places. I have to go out and check consumer reports and see what they have to say. My question for you, how many cars have you ever had in your whole little life? Can I have a second to count? <laughs> no, we're not. We're talking about more than two. How many of those cars needed a new starter? Three. Three needed a new starter? Yep. Good night, nurse. What were you doing to those poor babies? Nothing. I think it was the manufacturer. <laughs> it sounds like a good blame to me. I had to replace one starter one time in my whole little life. Hmm. And you've been bringing your car on and off your whole life? Yes. Huh. I'm doing not, I say, I say yes. But I have been, I mentioned but I'm more starter. conscientious of it now. Actually, the whole engine. Pardon? It's actually the whole engine. It, without getting too technical. Oh, thank you. When you, thank you. When, when you, um, Turn the engine off. Yeah. You have what's called a journal bearing. <laughs> and you Se- promised that you wouldn't get too them. technical. And, I have a key um, and a slot, and they, that's it. They settle down. And you can help me here. And they settle down to the bottom. Yeah. And then you have metal-on-metal metal contact. Yeah. And when you let it run, they're floating on the oil. So every time you turn it off and let it sit and settle down um, and then start it up, you have a little scrape before the oil 
floats the journal bearing up again. That's like the main bearing in the car and on the pistons and everything else. So my point is just that there's more to consider than just how much gas is burned in 10 seconds. There's also how much wear you're doing on the engine and what the energy cost of making a new engine is. Well, if I'm going to sit for 15 minutes, I, I can't. I can't see that I'm not getting a good benefit out of that. I, I think I'm going to continue to shut it off. Now, when you talk oh, about... I, was, I wasn't telling you not to. I just was offering a question that I've asked, you know, senior automotive engineers, and they don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you, you weren't raising a question. You were confusing me. I'm sorry. You're not. I know here's, you're here's, here's something that won't confuse you. <laughs> oh, are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Abner's wife was Elizabeth. Yes, yes, yes. That does not confuse me. And not only did you get it right, you remembered that she does not start her name with an E. Oh, yeah. It's Elizabeth. Well, aren't you a piece of work? Okay, I've got your Dimension X and all all sorts of other things, and I apologize. I'm so late with sending these things out. So, but that means I've got an envelope with stamps on them, and I can put something else in the envelope. What What do you think you'd like? Oh. That was very good, by the way. I'm impressed that you knew that. Oh, I love Loman Abner. Do you? Yeah. They're, they're great. I liked I liked their little pen light thing. That was that was so cute, and, and they carried it on for so long. Oh, their little flashlight. Yeah. Yes, they had. They were swamped. They had no idea they were going to have that many people. That they they had set aside um, some money to <laughs> have some flashlights made, and Lemon Abner did it before that Walden maybe you can help me make sure that my memory is correct they made this commitment to have this contest uh, not really a contest but a giveaway a premium that was tied to the contest of who was going to be president of the Jotham Down store Lemon Abner yeah that was great Lemon <laughs> yeah, Abner made a commitment to send out these flashlights to people who asked for them before the Horlick Malt people said they would do it. So that they was really, really put themselves on the line with this. Yeah, they, they put their own money up for that. Yes. And then when, when the response was so big, Horlick's malted, Horlick's malted what? Milk, wasn't it? No, it wasn't milk. Horlick's, Horlick's malt? Yeah, it's a malt. It's, it's made in England. I, I looked it up. It's I thought being... it was malted milk. I don't. It was a malted um, mixture. In any event, um, when when they started getting that kind of a response, Horlick stepped in and said that they would sponsor it, and that's when it became the Horlick's flashlight. <laughs> I thought it was interesting that the guys were very invented in the early days when they didn't have a sponsor. They made their own premium and. Uh, either selling those or giving those away, and that realized that they became a hit. So they even, you know, they they they. What were they giving away before they had a sponsor? I think it was a book. Really? Yeah. Well, let's see what Horlicks is. So, I always get confused about the dates with these shows. Um, 
were they like the first radio shows they, though, to like offer premiums? They started in thirty one. Um very close to it. I know all Orphan Annie jumped in with premiums really early. But I, I would think of the... Uh, they got to be one of the very first ones. Oh, they, they yeah. introduced the concept. Yeah. They're, huh. they're very early. They were very early in that. Amos and, Amos and Andy were very early, but they never gave away a premium that I can remember. Did they ever have a premium, Walden? I... Wondering the premium that's from the early 30, I don't know if they were premium or thing people could buy. They were, they, 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 remember, they had the Fresh Air Taxi Cab. Right. And I don't know if people ordered that or bought that in stores. Uh, and that was around 1931. And we had one of those in the Yesterday USA auction a few years ago, and somebody, one of our listeners, paid $1,100 for that. I can believe it. Yeah. I can believe it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a collect. No, mm-hmm. I, I don't recall. I've listened to a fair number of mm-hmm. the Amos and Andy shows, and I don't recall ever hearing that they had any kind of a premium anywhere in the lineup. So even though they were early, early in the radio lineup, they didn't have any giveaways. So it sounds Lum and Abner were really on the front curve on that one. Well, Mason wanted to her website, The History of Radio Premiums. I know Jim Harmon and other authors wrote books about it, but I'm not too sure how far back we go. Yeah. Well, it's Horlick's Powder, Horlick's Malt, and uh, some and Horlick's Malted Milk is what you make from this stuff in a jar. And it's still available, by the way. So if anyone has ever had this stuff, have you ever had it, Dennis? No. What does it taste like? That's what I'm going to ask. Who who buys this stuff and what does it taste like? If it's a malted milk, that should be pretty good. It should be. Well, I use malt for malted milk. Okay. Mm-hmm. And actually, good that you ask me. Because <laughs> uh, I, I have an observation about that. <laughs> It was it was sold as you, Dennis. Even if I didn't ask you, you would have an observation. Be beautiful. Well, from listening to the radio shows, actually, you know they have malt, and they sold it as an energy supplement and so on. And malt is basically a protein additive. Mm-hmm. It's it was- it's like you know protein drinks now that they sell for buco bucks in GNC and places like that. Yeah. And well, the announcer talks to when he's talking about Horlicks as a product, he frequently has a, a clip about a mother who she wrote in and said, until my baby started with Horlicks, he wasn't gaining weight and he wasn't healthy and yada, yada. And Horlicks saved his life and all sorts of neat stuff like that there. Right. And uh, it occurred to me that, you know, the time we're listening to. Back in those days, um, people were poor. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a lot of meat in their diet. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if a lot of people were suffering from protein deficiency. Well, that's pretty hard to do. I was just thinking, you know, all the cereal that we heard these radio shows sponsor, none of them was sugar cereal. I don't know when sugar star- cereal started to hit the market. Is uh, it, is Bill Hickok had sugar corn pops. And I was the 50s. I think that was probably one of the earliest. Yeah, that was the 50s, but I was thinking the traditional Wheaties and Pep and 
all those Quaker Pop Rice and Quaker Pop Sparkies, uh-huh. all those were that the, the, the sponsor always talk about the nutritional value of uh-huh. those cereals. Uh-huh. But they also didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very true. Um, they, I mean, they really didn't. Uh, it's almost. The, it, it's it's kind of funny because the the first flakes that came out, I think they were from Kellogg uh, Wheaties. The process actually destroyed all the nutritional value. Yeah. Yeah. Food. Kellogg's first flake product was. Um, Cornflakes. Yeah, I was. I wasn't sure if it was corn or wheat, but uh, the point was that you know after they got done steaming it and rolling it and doing all the stuff, it, it was basically eating sawdust. Well, maybe maybe they protect themselves that it made from whole wheat. So the time we ate it, there was no yeah. value from it anyway. Well, the cornflakes were created. They were. There were Kellogg brothers. There were two Kellogg brothers, and I can't recall which one was the doctor who decided his patients needed a healthful, easy-to-digest food and came across the cornflake, uh, I, I don't want to say recipe. It wasn't even a recipe. It was a, it was a, a corn dough that wound up in the oven and it flattened out into these flakes and it was quite it was an accidental invention of cornflakes and he was messing around with different recipes looking for something that he could feed his patients that they would be able to tolerate and that's how he came up with cornflakes well may have been a tuberculosis sanitarium i'm not clear on that Uh, they were were able to digest it because there wasn't any food value in it Mm. He thought it was Sorry. Wonderful. He, he thought it was wonderful. Now here's something that's but really cool. My my point my point was just I was I was wondering if um, things like Horlicks, you know, actually did work for these people because they had a deficiency in their diet. Well, I was just, looking just for I was looking for Horlicks ingredients and I'll have it on a list in just a second. It's probably up on the results that I pulled. But when I opened this page was London pharmacist James Horlick developed an idea for an improved wheat and malt-based nutritional supplement for infants. So it is something nutritional. And what made me smile is that they were based in Racine, Wisconsin. Johnson's Wax. They were next door to Johnson's Wax. So maybe they, uh, let's see. Um, Horlicks, 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 ingredients, 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 ingredients in Horlicks, question mark. Let's see. We've got, um, we have powdered malt, dried skim milk, sugar, dried milk whey, Calcium carbonate, hydrogenated palm oil, salt, lactose, sodium chloride, and all of you know the little doodads after that. So powdered malt. I don't know what malt is categorized. Is that a protein? Yep. Malt is a protein. Yep. So it's byproduct of making beer, actually. Malt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're joshing me. Oh, drink up, everybody. We've got to save the kids. Um, <laughs> powdered powdered malt and dried skim milk. Um, and the the third item is sugar, which is not a great item. You, you look for anything that's five or higher on sugar. But, but 
Um, it's well, a, you need sugar to of, get the kids to drink it. Yeah, well, yeah, it has, <laughs> has to be sweetened with something, yeah. Three out of the first four are protein products, so good stuff. Okay. All right, so what kind of not, shows Not to belabor that. I have shows, more, shows. Gotta, more serious old-time radio questions. And you guys, you guys should be able to help me with this. Okay. I am trying to figure out if it's just me or if it's really true. This is about Foley. I was listening to um, a Sherlock Holmes story. Basil Rathbone, and you know, that, all that, yeah. the older ones. Yeah. And um, a guy comes to the door downstairs. And, uh, of course, Sherlock goes, goes, oh, someone's going to knock on the door. And they do, and whatever. And um, Mrs., I forget her name. Hudson. Hudson, <laughs> thank you. Uh, she answers the door, and he shouts up from down the stairs. And it actually sounds like he's calling from downstairs. Uh-huh. And Sherlock opens the door and says, come on up and then they he he walks up the stairs and he's talking mm-hmm. as he walks up the stairs and you can hear his footsteps change sound and his mm-hmm. voice change sound mm-hmm. some of the techniques that were used included turning your back to the microphone which gave you a distance to your voice and as you were getting closer in the script, as you were getting closer to the characters you were going to be interacting with, you turned around slowly, kept on speaking your lines, but turned around slowly until eventually your voice was directed at the microphone. Cool. Yeah, I thought so, too. Okay, that answers one question. But my basic question was... Oh, that wasn't the big one? No. Oh, crikey. My, be- okay. my, my question is about... The history of Foley, uh, from then now to the present. What I I've also listened to some some current, you know, radio drama type shows, and what I've noticed is that that kind of thing doesn't seem to really be done anymore. It it's more done like a stage presentation where they're just out there and they're doing the show. Mm-hmm. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, a couple observations. Um, there is still one sound effect guy of old time radio who we can get on, Bob Mott, and that's sort of a goal this summer, who writes books. Uh, but uh, Foley is a movie term, it was never used for radio. So, just, just to clue everybody in on that. So, I, I, that came from the movie. So, the radio sound effect guys always called themselves sound effects men. So, they never used the word Foley. Um, okay. And I think you're right, Dennis, because I think a lot of traditional the radio shows that you see, they're like the Twilight Zone and um, uh, all uh, Imagination Theater, they add the sound effects in and they're using recorded effects even um imagination theater they do a live show every three months or so the, the sound effect guys are there for the audience and they will go ahead and add the effects in later so 
So they do uh, all of the performances, and then they go back and lay another track for the sound effects? Uh-huh. Wow. So I'm not crazy. No, you're not, Dennis. You're absolutely correct. Because I think, I think in the, the old-time radio days, those guys, A, put on a show. I mean, like, Ray Ehrenborn for many years, who attended all the old-time radio conventions, I have a, I, I arranged for him to frame for sit down. He was a performer in sound movies. He was a ukulele player in radio, but found his niche as a sound effect artist. And he specialized in trap falls. So whenever you heard a body fall, he actually did that for the, the studio audience. Oh my god. Yeah. So those guys and he still was doing it in his late eighties at the live old time radio convention until his wife asked him, Would you at least stop doing that? <laughs> You're getting like a vase, we don't want to have to pick you up pieces. Good grief. And so Ray lived to the mid night you know, mid to late nineties, but in his late eighties he was still doing all that stuff. Pratt Falls are I've, I'm amazed. Uh, you know, people like even Jackie Gleason used to do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How could a man that size do a pratfall and not kill himself? Um, he almost did one time. Bob leg. Bob Hastings and uh, Hal Stone would do that for the Archie Andrew radio show. Cause those guys in the late teens or twenties would do body. Uh, body thumps. Body thumps. Um, wow. So. Also, we had, in fact, echo chambers. We they they did have places that they would go uh, to to create a sound. Sometimes they would use a filter mic for the shadow. Sometimes they uh, actually, I think traditionally, they use a telephone booth to get that echo effect. Mm-hmm. Um, How fun! Lux Radio Theater was a totally different animal. It was done in a theater that seats a thousand people. The audience watched the performers on mic, and behind the curtain was the 40-piece orchestra. But above them, in the Raptors, was another was another stall where all the sound effects was up there. So it was, t- it was totally different. Because um, traditionally you would see them off stage. Yeah. But uh, you know, I, I think you're absolutely correct, Dennis. In the old-time radio days, you, you got A, a show, and B, you got the effect. Cause you didn't have the uh, opportunity to lay those in like all these guys doing today. And I think that's too bad. I think it's distracting, and I and I think you can, that's part of the reason why I don't think um, too fast. It's A, the radio shows you hear today are as good. And B, I miss, I miss the sound of a of the old-time radio theaters of the 30s and 40s. There's a special feeling, that the way that you can tell them on mic, it was that sweet sound. And nowadays, the yeah, guys... Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting to. Yeah, they get that sweet sound. Now, they're using, like, recording studios, and it's just, it, it bothers me. It's, yeah. It gets me off kilter. That's one of the reasons I enjoy the British shows, the South African shows, um, and the Australian shows so much is that they integrate such rich sound effects and they utilize the techniques that you were talking about a little bit ago, Dennis, of manipulating the mic and manipulating the sounds to create the 
the perception that the right things are going on when actually they haven't moved away at all. They haven't moved away from the mic. They haven't, they haven't done anything other than perform with sound. And it's fabulous. But we don't have that in the American radio productions. Also, I think, that yeah, also, I think what's also distracting, distracting to my ears, uh, Twilight Zone, they would either go, uh, call my would fly to Hollywood and record the Hollywood personality, take it back and lay it in with the Chicago cast, or if they would, uh, telephone conference them in. And somehow it misses that equilibrium. Yes. Having everybody, it just bothers me. Yeah, uh, it, it doesn't come out balanced. No. Everything is out of whack. Mm-hmm. Dennis? I don't, I don't think it's out of whack. It's just, it's just different. Right. Um, and maybe because I've, I, I've been raised on old-time radio for 35 years, I'm just, my ears are just used to that. You're well, much more sensitive. I haven't been, but I just noticed it, and then I thought about it, and I go, okay, is it my imagination? Or is it real? Thanks. And I have a friend who is an audiophile. Mm-hmm. And he only plays off vinyl. Yeah. on his home stereo system. And I've also listened to exactly the same recordings on digital. And there is, what Patricia said, a dimension missing in digital. And I have no idea what it is, but when I go to his house and sit in front of his $10,000 stereo system and listen to his records, it's like being there. And digital doesn't quite have it. He's right. Mm-hmm. But it's incredibly expensive to do that. <laughs> well, I'm sure one or two, because I've been with the hobby since the seven, or, or we weren't benefited. A lot of us didn't have access to first generation material. So we were just, A, happy to have the show. And so we missed the fidelity of the of it with muddy and things like that. But in the last ten to fifteen years, uh, we gotten closer and closer to the original source. The original source is coming more available, and guys are getting asked. And so when you actually hear a radio show right off the mat, it's unbelievable. I can imagine the sound. You know, if you have the proper techniques and the proper sounds, and it, it's 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 pretty amazing. You made, me, you made me glad that I wasn't going crazy. No, you're not going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I I owe you two two collections of shows though. Okay, I'm sorry I kept interrupting no. you. I was just so right. so happy to know that I'm not crazy. Well, I, you know, I I won't use that as a general broad brush assessment, but in this particular thing, no, you aren't crazy. Good. Well, Feel better now. Um, nah. Think how, it's a... how about <laughs> Have Gun Will Travel? Have Gun Will Travel? I did never did that for you? Of course I will do that. What else? Mm, Port Laramie? Port All Laramie. Right. Certainly can do that. 
There aren't a whole lot of Fort Laramie shows um, floating around, so it, it won't be a huge collection, but I will send you what I have. Yeah, it didn't last too long. No. But um, I actually really liked it, and don't ask me why, because I don't know why. It was it, a good show, that's why. It uh, It's just... It was it was very compelling writing. Mm-hmm. I thought, and it had because it it was historically it, it maintained a historic integrity. It added to the show. You didn't have to sit there and play pretend that oh, they knew think, what they were talking about. It, each show, the setting, the um, the characters, the delivery, the speech, whatever related to that particular period and Fort Laramie and the location, they researched before they wrote the script, and it showed. I think it was a fine show. Actually, I can't tell you what I liked about it, and it's it's a little political, but um, the captain... Um, and I've only heard a couple of them, but the captain would always, you know, like look at it and go, they're people, you know, talking about the Indians mm-hmm. and arguing with his commander and he'd go out and he, go, he, he always would go, those aren't animals, they're people. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever actually said that, but. Yes, I, no, I, I understand what you're saying and it was not. It, it, politically correct or incorrect, it, it really is not that kind of an issue. It was the social mores of the time when that radio show was broadcast were different from what was being – it was ahead of its time. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's fun to listen to. Walden, was Raymond Burr in that one? Yep. yep. Uh, he, was the star, <laughs> he was the star of the show. Even I knew the answer to that one. Yeah. He, he was just... I'm just a little kid. I'll, 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 when we finish talking, I'll tell Walden my story about how little kid I am. Yeah, but that, it was another Norm MacDonald show who created Gunsmoke, so it was one of his. High quality. Yeah. Okay. It's it part of that CBS okay. doc company feel, because it was in 1956. Yeah. I think we're under 40, around 40 shows or so. Okay, Dennis, I will add these to your envelope, and by the, you poor guy, by the time you get your goodies that I owe you, we're going to need a U-Haul to get them there. <laughs> okay. I'll get them out this week. It's a short but, week. It's a short week. It's a short week, sure. Well, but that's good, because I won't have clients calling me on Monday, so I, I can do my catch-up here. So I will get them out to you, sir. Thank you for right. saving. Thank you for saving my car starter. <laughs> well, maybe well, I was trying to change your behavior. I was just pointing out that <laughs> maybe it's more to consider than just ten seconds of gas. Maybe you were trying to save Patricia a three thousand dollar engine bill. Yeah. Well, no, it was fifteen minutes of gas, and and the formula is if you sit more than ten seconds, you have crossed the threshold of cost and return. Uh-huh. Well, but, but they haven't included in their equation. Oh, dear. I did it again, didn't I? Wear and tear on the equipment. Okay. Well, I'll let them know what you said. <laughs> <laughs> the next time I read it, I'll, I'll write them a note and say, Dennis said. Yeah. <laughs> I will do that. Okay. Thanks for calling with some great stuff. All right. 
Bye bye. 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 And there we go. 714-545-2071. Dennis from Colorado just called. Anybody from the East Coast is still around. We'd love to hear you. 714-545-2071. And another thing, because Patricia and I are itty bitty little kids here. We're really little kids. <laughs> we are because I, I don't know. I, neither of us can answer this question, but some of you could. What was the sound quality like when you listened to old-time radio, radio originally back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s? Over oh, your radio. Could you turn me up one notch? Sure. Hello there. You're on the air. Yeah, hi. This is Ralph. Hello, Ralph. How are you? I'm going to call a little late tonight. I had a for dinner, you know. Well, that's okay. We're celebrating the number 55. Oh, that's right. Now, wait a minute. I've got you on my calendar here. And it's... Third. It's next week. It's not Yeah, next week. but tonight was a nice. But it's... Am I right? It's on the third next week, right? Exactly right. All right. See, I wrote it down. Now, you're getting me all mixed up here. I'm too delicate. Oh, well, we, we had company tonight, and we decided to celebrate. Okay. But I'm too there's, delicate for this. There's a... Uh, our, well, I'm going to stay home. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, yeah, but are you going to celebrate on the third, too, anyway? You're going to do a double dip? No, we won't go out. I don't know what we'll do. But uh, tonight was a dinner out at the uh, a local restaurant, which used to be a Wells Fargo uh, station when they had the stagecoach. No kidding. Mm. What was it, 1867? It was founded. Yeah. The old hotel here was founded 1867. Wow. So, did, do they have historic uh, artifacts and little goodies in there? Oh, yeah, they got quite a few little things in there. Uh, well, what have they got? Old photographs of, uh, of uh, people tied up to the hitching posts with horses and later photographs.
probably 80 miles from here. That's too close. Yeah, right? it's close enough. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I understand that tornadoes aren't at all common in the mountains. Mm -hmm. Mostly on flat land. Yes. Mountains. <laughs> oh. So we're hoping not to hear from them. <laughs> it's, it's okay. We'll call you. Don't call us. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, oh, my I God. I so far. What's your theme tonight? Oh, the theme tonight. Thank you for asking. We're talking about canning and preserving and all sorts of stuff like that there, um, and especially as it relates to World War II. Yes. Because um, we've got... I've got uh, rationing, rationing information and a couple of the things that were on the rationing list that required points included stuff like tomato juice and ketchup. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember all that, but we still have a couple of old ration books here that we saved. What, tell me, do you know what they were for? Well, I know you needed them for meat. And she, you need them for shoes? Tony says you needed them for shoes. You needed them for shoes and sugar and butter? Uh, yeah, m most stuff. And gas? But, uh, there were a few exempt items. I, I think grain uh, cereals and the like were, were uh, exempt of that. Uh-huh. There were some other products that were very, very low on ration points. I, the one I remember from the Great Gildersleeve was a product named Papstet. It was apparently a cheese-like product. I don't know how much cheese was in it, but it was supposed to be pretty good on protein and required... What did they call it? Pardon? What, what did they call it again? Papstet. I believe it was P-A-B-S-T-E-T. It might have been P-A-P, S-T-E-T. No, I don't remember hearing about that. Well, I will have to look it up then and find some information. Probably ate it if they it used, was. <laughs> they used to advertise it as requiring so many fewer points than cheese uh. and other dairy products. So even, even within categories, there were a lot of differences. So anyway, tomatoes was, was the idea. Dennis had a suggestion that tomatoes wound up in the rationing area because of uh, Victory Gardens, people being encouraged to grow food yes. at home. And it, we had one. Yeah, it did turn yeah, out. We that, did grow tomatoes. Uh-huh. They, they could grow tomatoes, but canning them at home didn't use metal. Buying them in cans in the store used metals that they needed for war manufacturing. Yeah, yeah. I, my mom used to can stuff every year, uh, mostly uh, fruits. And it was uh, in the neighborhood that we lived, we had a big apple tree. Ah, okay. Another lady had a, a pear tree, and somebody else had a peach tree. And uh, we used to uh, pick each other's fruit, and everybody uh, would can their own stuff. Uh-huh. So I, I remember uh, uh, my mother didn't use, you, you know, the um, the, uh, the uh, jars, the canning jars. Mason jars, yeah. Mason jars, okay. She, she used the jar, but she didn't have the pressure caps. Uh-huh. Uh 
the seal. Right. What she used to do is, is put the stuff in the uh, in the jar and then pour uh, paraffin wax on right. top of it. Right. And that worked with jellies and jams, but yeah. it didn't work with any others, uh, any other items. I don't know why it worked with jelly and jam because they were loaded with sugar. No, I, I really don't know. But, uh, yeah, I can remember her doing that. She'd spend all day doing that. Uh-huh. How interesting. And then we had a little uh, room down in the basement that was uh, pretty cool all the time, and the, the shelves were stacked. She she put up a lot of stuff. Uh-huh. Now, when, did the neighbors share with each other so all of them had peaches and pears and apples, or? Oh, yeah, yeah. They, you did share. Yeah, they, they would come pick ours. We'd go pick theirs. Huh? Sounds like a system to me. Well, it sure worked. Can't imagine having all apples. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's just so much apple butter you can you can consume. Did she make apple butter? Applesauce? I don't think apple butter, but she used to do. She called them preserves, uh, rather than jellies and jams. Uh, it would be the the whole body of the fruit. Right. And uh, th that's mainly what I can remember her doing. Uh-huh. The, the jellies are smooth, no lumps in them. The jams have pieces of fruit in them, and preserves are the entire fruit. That... That's the way, yeah, that's the way I, I believe it is. Uh-huh. So that's cool that you remember that. Did you ever have a garden? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did. We had a victory garden. I can remember specifically that uh, we grew uh, radishes and corn and tomatoes. Uh, I don't remember anything else. Did your mom can any of them? Mm, I'm not sure about the vegetables. I don't think so. I think she might mainly eat fruit. I lost somebody here. Uh, did you lose me? I, I, for for a, a second, I lost you. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. As as I recall, she just really did fruit. I don't remember vegetables uh -huh. being canned. Okay. Um, fruit seemed to be the most popular item to go through the canning process, but I was really surprised at the things that wound up. I've got a graphic in front of me. Bless somebody's little heart. Drew. These are hand-drawn uh, cans, and then put on these pictures of cans what they were, how big the cans were, and how many points each one required. Oh, cool. And one is, and, and what, what intrigued me is that the liquids are also in weight, not in liquid, and liquid measurements. So it's oh, not great. fluid ounce, huh? No, it's got grapefruit juice, two pounds, 14 ounces. There you go. Tomato juice, two pounds, 14 ounces. That was a standard size can. And tomato juice uh, in a smaller one came in one pound, seven ounce cans. I don't know how you would, how you would convert these today, which goes back uh, to I don't know. helping me with <laughs> in the weight of milk versus the weight of oil versus the weight of water. Well, isn't a pound 16 ounces? But that's that's solid weight, not liquid. Okay. And ounce ounces volume, and um, 
weight is is weight. It, you know, it's oh, a solid food item is weighed in ounces. Well, you know, I, I know that, as you said, different things have different specific gravities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What you put it in what we would call a one quart can. Yeah. It, if you went in a package. Yeah, I guess you're right. Cause one you, product to another, I can see it being you, variation. You don't go, you don't go to the grocery store and buy a pound of milk. You're buying a gallon. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. And, and you buy that in. That's a, a liquid weight. Mm-hmm. It's it's in ounces. Liquid ounce is different from solid ounce, right. and they call them the same word. You think with all of the words that we have in the language, they could have found a different one for different well, weights. Why Why did we do that? Why didn't we just have a uniformity that ounce is an ounce is an ounce? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. And now we've got a ton and a metric ton. Mm-hmm. Um, a ton is 2,000 pounds, and I believe a metric ton is 2,200 pounds. Does that sound right, Ralph? Yeah, it probably is. I, you know, uh, uh, a yard and a meter, you know, they vary somewhat also. Uh-huh. Oh, They're yeah. A close. meter is much shorter than a yard. I think a meter is 30 inches. Uh, well... The way I always the way I always did it, it was it was uh, a meter is ten percent more than a than a yard. Right, that's right. Yeah. It's ten percent more, so it's thirty nine inches. Okay. Correct. I got it. Yeah, a little longer. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, a yard, a a yard. Um, it's got it's point nine meters is a yard, so it's a little bit so ten percent more. On a meter is a yard. A meter is 10% smaller than a yard. No. A meter is 10% bigger. Well, bigger. Well, what I'm I'm looking at a, a conversion table, and I put in one yard. A yard is 36 inches, and a meter is 39. Well, let's see if we got inches here. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think a yard is shorter. Inches. I I will make 36 inches, and. Well, this is not helping at all. You know, it's similar to the difference between a gallon and a, and a uh, liter. Yeah. Cry. A liter is more than a gallon. Well, I'm trying to think. I, I'm thinking uh, 2.2 kilograms per grams. I'm trying to think of the conversion rates. Kilograms, uh, 2.2 pounds in a kilogram. Okay. So have you decided, what it, is it 36 inches versus 39 inches, right, Patricia? Just a minute. Yeah, it, it probably is. Let me see. Um, inches to meters, meters to inches. One inch, one foot. Hold on. Okay, I know when you run a mile, it's, it winds up being 0.6 kilometers. One yard equals 0.914 meters. Okay. So that would be that would be right. Yeah. No, it wouldn't. Yeah, it's uh, yard is shorter. Yeah. A yard is shorter. They're doing it backwards here. Okay. And so, I'm, you know, I, I got this little touch of dyslexia. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Just be happy. I'm not in the space program. <laughs> one meter equals one point nine yards. See, I did it the other way around. That, that's what you've been telling me. Yeah, one point. Yeah, I'm sorry, 1.09 yards. Yeah. Well, what always got me confused a little bit is the uh, our temperatures. 
you know. See us in the uh, Fahrenheit. Yeah, I mean here, 31 degrees. It's supposed was it 32 degrees freezing or whatever. Mhm. So it's supposed to be zero in the rest of the world. Zero Celsius. Yeah, it's 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 equal freezing. Yes. And it's 32 for us, so the conversion, what, the, whatever the conversion rate is, 0.32, I don't know, whatever. Oh, it's, um, it, it's a really screwy formula, yeah. and um, I never memorize it. <laughs> I tell a lie. That's how come I have one of these really handy-dandy little things, and it says temperature, convert Fahrenheit to Celsius, and I can do it the other way around. So give me a temperature, okay. and I'll tell you what it is in Celsius. It was 90 degrees here today, so I put in 90 degrees, and Celsius, it's 32.2. Yeah, what's boiling? Uh, boiling is um, Fahrenheit. 212 Fahrenheit and 100 degrees Celsius. Uh, that's what I thought, yeah, yeah, that's right. Sounds good to me. <laughs> up my expressions now that is too funny are you in the <laughs> see I, I don't want to let you go here um can you, you can you be hotter than boiling can sure you, yeah of course you can so why then i'm just thinking so if you lose your scale for freezing at zero to boiling 100 so i get the so anything above 100 it's just 101 102 whatever is their scale well it depends on what I put in there, um, if if it's, let's say, um, how many degrees do you want? 500 degrees? Well, I said fire, fire 451 or something. 451 is 232 Celsius. Okay. And I never memorized it, you know, I mean, they, they have a formula and you have to minus 32 and plus 32 and I never did it. Isn't, isn't never, I never know. I was always so grateful that I had calculators. Ignition <laughs> point for for paper or something like that, isn't it? Say what? I said, isn't 451 degrees Fahrenheit uh, the ignition point for paper? Something like that. I think that's where Ray Bradbury wrote his famous book, Fahrenheit 451. It talks about book burning. So that's probably okay. the, the premise. Oh, that would be that maybe where I got that. Yeah, so I think you got it, Ralph. Yeah. Boy, aren't you smart? I did not know that. Mm -hmm. No, that's the only Ray Bradbury book I've ever read. So that's what required. So that's why it sticks out in my mind. My Ray Bradbury is good. Uh -huh. yeah. I know they had a movie about that, too, now that I think of it. Yep. They, they did. Smart people. Smart people. Mm -hmm. You going to answer a question for me? Well, I'm sorry. I can't guarantee anything. Oh, but you're so good. Do you want comic strips? Or regular stuff? Oh, I try comic strips. Oh, good. I was hoping you'd say that. Okay, let's see what we got here. Um, who, what is the origin of Sadie Hawkins Day? Oh, I remember that from Little Abner. That is correct. Yeah. You done good. Who, who drew Little Abner? Uh, Al Cap. What was one of his most distinguishing features as a person? He, he was disabled to some degree. Yes, he was. Do you remember what? Uh, uh, I, you know, he was disabled. I don't know. I don't think he could walk. I think he was in a wheelchair, but I'm not sure of that. 
he had lost a leg in an accident. You are right on target. Mm. He had a car accident and lost one of his legs. Oh, my. Speaking of Al Cap. Uh-huh. Speaking of Al Cap. Yeah? Do you remember the schmoo? The schmoo. Oh. oh. That was, was like a balloon character with, with whiskers? Yeah. Kind of oh, looked like a little bowling pin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I remember. Yeah, there was a... We had, <laughs> I had a schmoo book, and it told you how the schmoo's... Uh, uh, how they um, <laughs> propagated is the word. Yeah. It had all sorts of silly things about schmooze. <laughs> <laughs> is that where the term schmoozing came from? I, I don't know. I, I think schmoozing might have been around longer. Longer than the schmoo? The schmooze were good to eat. And if you looked at them, and they thought you were hungry, they would drop dead for you so you could eat them. <laughs> See, they were friendly creatures. Oh, that's... Wonderful. Boon to mankind. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and that was in a comic strip? Gee, Willie. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ralph, I owe you a thousand CDs here, and when you get your sample collection... Yes. You'll be able to pick out a thousand shows that you want, because I've got... Easily, a hundred, maybe a hundred and twenty-five samples of different shows on your DVD so far. Well, I'll sure look at them. I'll listen to them. Cool. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I, I, Sorry, <laughs> we had dead air there for a second. Yeah, dead air, but I, I'm, I'm as much responsible as you are. <laughs> No, every once in a while, your phone will give a hiccup, so I'm never quite sure if you're there or I'm not. Yeah, well, we're getting around 99%, I think. You figured that one out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Too much fun. Okay, you're going to let me know what you want after I give you the buffet. Yes, absolutely. It sounds like a deal to me. I'm going to go to sleep now. No, 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 you have to stay with us for a while. No, when I, when I do my uh, my uh, middle-of-the-night wake-up, uh -huh. uh, quite often I'll hear you going off the air. There you go. All right, so you can call us later. That could happen. There you hey. go. Hey. Right, listen, you both have a good evening, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, Ralph, and um, happy early anniversary. Oh, thank you very much. You bet. Thank you. Tony says thank you. You bet, Tony. <laughs> Bye, Val. Bye. Bye, folks. <laughs> there he goes. That's right. 714-545-2071. We will be in the month of June next oh, next, I know. next Saturday night. Oh, I know. Could you tick me up one number? Man, you just, your phone is you're getting to be... You know, I mean, I, I really noticed when I got the new system, yeah. I really noticed yeah. it, it is much lower. Yeah. Right. Well, that's that's why they, they charge such a low rate there. <laughs> right. <laughs> Did I mention to you that I, I sent out packages of information and asked for um, a rebate 
on bills that I should not have been paying all I, along anyway. I, I remember we were discussing that last weekend privately, so I knew... That's, that's you, what I had to do at the post office the other day. This is a management trick for everybody. If you're writing a complaint, and especially if you are asking for a fix to a problem, you want a remedy to what has gone on, always send out a minimum of two carbon copies to key people on the list. So if you're writing to the president of a company, you send a copy to the vice president, you send a copy to the chief operating officer, make sure that you've got at least two. I go as high as four sometimes, and the rationale is it's next to impossible to pass on a problem when everybody else has already read it. Somebody has to fix it. So you send it to four separate people? You're all yeah. sticking it in the same envelope? Oh, no, no, no. Everybody got their own envelope. I know. At the same time, what my dad does, he gets sent it certified mail. That way, for sure, he knows somebody signed for it. Oh, I, I know people, and I sent it with um, a confirmation okay, of good. delivery. Good. But... I sent it to four different people in four different envelopes. Mm -hmm. Even if I sent it certified mail, I would only know that one person got the information. Right. I want several people to have the information, mm -hmm. and I want people to know who else knows there's a problem. So the more people you have who know what the problem is, the more likely you are to get it fixed. So when Patricia calls, she's got four separate phone numbers and four, <laughs> and four separate names. I've got four separate names. Sure, I go to the websites. Mm -hmm. I gather the corporate information and the names and the proper titles, and I I do my thing. So I'll let you know how I make out. Well, our friend Don Richard, mm -hmm. who is a master of getting deals on the phone, mm -hmm. when he's not happy, he has them all. He has a he just works from the top. Mm -hmm. He just calls the president of the company or the or the or the CEO, and it works down. And eventually, he figures, if he goes to the top, they don't want to deal, they'll get handed out, or they'll, they'll, they'll send an email out, and it generally gets done for him. Right. So and I, I don't, I, and that's why I'm starting at the top here. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. I don't, however, want to give somebody an opportunity to say, here, read this, and you handle it, mm -hmm. because the person it would be handed off to already has a copy. So yep. the top person can't pass it on without knowing that the other person has already read it, and that person can't pass it on because the next person on the you know everybody knows that something so you put it in the what has a problem, and the more people who know about it, the more likely it is to be fixed. So on your letter, you actually put the other four names on top. That, that no, I, I usually put the person I address it to at the top and then at the bottom of you know, underneath my signature mm -hmm. I will put copy and the person's name and title next to it and I this time I of course had three three additional people who got it mm. so they will get copies of the letter that went out to the chief operating officer so you put your shield on it and and uh and uh bow type signature and everything Oh, I did the whole nod, sure. Oh, right. I signed them all, and I even sent them. I, by the time I finished collecting all of this paper and copies of bills that they can't interpret, I know either. So it was fun to put in a sample for them to take a look at. Uh, by the time I finished collecting all of this paper, I thought, well, it's going to cost a minimum of 3 maybe $4 to send it first class. I'll just pay 4.95 and send it priority mail and make it look even more important. 
Yeah, smart. Bunny rabbit. Yeah, a little bit. You should be in the consumer fighting for us. Yeah, right, right. The consumer advocate. You should be the consumer advocate for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I want... I want to be a consumer advocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I think I do that. you could go to war for us. Yeah, I, I would do that. Yeah, I'm going to war. Anybody have a complaint? Give us a call. We can help. <laughs> we can help you out at seven one four five four five two zero seven. We are a full service radio station. We'll and the complaints department is open. Yeah, we'll look at the we'll look at their website. Give you the names, and for a little little small charge. Or even write the letter. But that, that comes with a fee. But everything else will... That one comes with a fee. Yes. You're right. That one comes with a fee. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm working on for the, all of this poor... Uh, I won't even talk about it, but the, the, the client I was working with today is... Um, it, it's a, a letter issue, you know. He yeah. needs to put together a letter, and uh, he, he's very good at putting together thoughts and ideas. But he, he's usually in somewhere in downtown Las Vegas when he needs to be in somewhere else, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he takes some right turns and and down some alleyways along the way, so yeah. I have to, you know, just corral it and kind of push it back into the shape that it's. It's needed. So, anyway, I have some canning information about World War II. Terrific. And, we... and that's our theme tonight, canning. Preserves, tomatoes, veggies, just anything at all that was canned. What do I have on my list here? Preserves, pickles. Oh, pickles. I used to make pickles. And canned veggies. Yeah. All right. In 1942... This was still, this was in the middle of the Victory Garden program. 1942, 64% of women canned food for household use. That's pretty good batting average. In 1943, 75% wow. were canning food. On average, now this, you know, like between people who wear shoes and me, if they wear out two pairs of shoes and I don't wear out any, then the average is one each. Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm not too crazy about averages, but it says on average, families that canned veg, uh, foods put up about 165 cans or jars every year during the war. Nice. That's pretty cool. That's nice. Now, one thing that I never knew about, did you ever hear of a com community canning center? Nope, never did. I never did either. And it sounds like such an extraordinarily good idea. Apparently, there are a couple of them still hanging around today. People would have to buy canning equipment. Right. You know, the great big pots where you, you drop the, the full jars in to cook them up to a proper temperature and uh, it, it just, you know, uh, thermometers. Mm -hmm. So many things, so many pieces of equipment that you needed to do canning. And if you canned for five days out of a year, this stuff sat on your shelf for the other 360 days. So in a community canning center, I guess you paid a small fee, and you could go in any time and can any amount of stuff and never have to buy the equipment yourself, which I guess for families was a really big deal because if you were just starting out in a household or you had never canned before and now because mm -hmm. of rationing, you had to look at canning as a way of surviving – 
you would have to go out and buy all of this equipment. Well, just think of the uh, families that they had a victory, but they were uh, father was fighting and mom was working in a water plant or, or, or with a nurse. Sure. And so maybe she didn't have the time to do it. So she could have taken it to some place like this and have it done. No, they wouldn't do it. They they simply provided the equipment Got it. for you to do it yourself. But I wonder, uh, because I never heard about these, so I don't have a whole lot of information mm-hmm. about them. But I wonder if perhaps that situation was correct. People could come in and pay a fee for using the equipment, yeah. or you could bring in your veggies and your your fruits yeah. and have somebody else do it for a fee. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some entrepreneur out there back in them days that did such a thing. Oh, sure. Wow. Oh, sure. They had 5,000 community canning centers. Pretty amazing. It didn't, it didn't, it says it didn't come up to a, a whole lot. It mm-hmm. says the centers were used by only about 1% of the people who were canning in 1943. Most well, people didn't know they existed. Uh-huh. Grief, we've been covering and, ch- and tromping around World War II information forever. I never even knew these things were available. I did, never did. I never heard of them. I never did. How about that? I told you I was going to tell you how what a little kid I was with radio. Uh-huh. When I first found Yesterday USA. Uh-huh. Well, and I sent a contribution, and I was going to get into the chat room. Right. And Bill and Kim sent out a form for me to fill out with my name, my address, and, you know, little pieces of information, if that's what yep. they, they, we were willing to share. And one of the questions was, what is your favorite OTR station? I had no idea what OTR was. I did not know what those letters standed for. You know what, though? <laughs> stood for. That acronym has really only been used in a hobby in the last 10 or 15 years since the, the abbreviation of the Internet. Well, I... I, it, I it, I'm not off the hook. I didn't know what it was. Everybody else knew what it was. Because, you know, so that that's where I started in my babyhood. I didn't know what they were talking about. Aww. I wonder why it took so long for the for the industry to catch up. Well, cause, because we always, in the, in the 70s and 80s, we always referred to old-time radio. I really think the acronym came because people who became member of the OTR Digest, the <laughs> daily email, they, they just create acronyms. And that's where I think it all came from. Yeah. Cause that's how I never I never heard of it or saw it until then. Mhm. I never knew OTR. Yeah, an an internet phrase. Well, I feel a little bit better now. You know, I, there are people who bound the term and they they don't want to use the word old. I'm not bothered by that. I it's something doing about old time radio. Uh, I know we have friends who want to change it to classic radio or classic that, but. There's, to me, there's something very warm and endearing about the word old, old-time radio. But Old-time uh-huh. is, is the operational phrase. It's, it's, you know, we're not calling you old. It's no. old-time. Old-time. The era of radio, it's, it's an old-time. It's sort of like with C Candy. It's sort of like C Candy. They call it old-fashioned C Candy. You know, it, 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 it's like an old-fashioned ice cream. Uh-huh. 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 Yep. There, and there, you're right. There is something warm and fuzzy about old-fashioned and old-time. Yep. It conjures really fun stuff. Good memories. Yeah. Seven one four five four five two zero seven one. Patricia and I are out and about. She's over there. I'm over here. She's in your left speaker. Hi. 
I'm in the right speaker. If you have two speakers. Yeah. Well, together if we have just one. But, you know. But give us a call. We love to give you a talk. We have... Patricia has stuff. I have stuff. But, it's playtime. But, you know, if you got stuff, bring it in. We will play with your stuff. And we'll also return it back to you. Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. 714-545-2071. I have some national... You know how I do national days and weeks and months? Yep. Type stuff? Uh, is it, it Patera Salad monthly week, or what What do we have? We're, we're down to days, because we're at the end of the month. Mm. So I, I have May 29th, May 28th, which it no longer is here, mm. but it's still out there with you, huh? <laughs> yeah, you, you've still got... I'm still, I'm over here. Yeah, you still got about 52 minutes. Uh-huh. So I've got May 28th, May 29th, May 30th, and May 31st. May 28th is Slug's return from Capistrano Day. Oh. I have no idea. <laughs> Slug's return from Capistrano Day. Hmm. Are there slugs in Capistrano? I don't, I've never heard about the slugs in Capistrano. I just, they're all, not even returning to Capistrano. I, I know the swallows. from Capistrano, yeah. wherever they're going. I don't I, know. I know the swallows return to Capistrano. I didn't I, know the slugs did, too. Well, no, they, these are, are leaving Capistrano, but I don't know where they're arriving. Yeah. Did, every, did have anybody question them and ask them and survey them? Where are they going for the winter? I, the summer? I, I have no idea. Oh. All I did was find this thing, Slug's Return from Capistrano. Mm. So I guess they spent the winter in Capistrano. Mm. So if anybody knows about Slug Day <laughs> um, from May 28th, that would be really okay. good. Now here's a good one. May 28th is Amateur Radio Military Appreciation Day. I didn't know there was such a thing called I... Amateur, Mil Amateur Radio Military Day. I have no idea. Maybe Nolan would know about that. Yep. Amateur radio is a ham radio. Right. And military ham radio. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Help us out. Um, and maybe Nolan would, would uh, have some extra information about that. But it's Amateur Radio Military Appreciation Day. And then tomorrow is Rural Life Sunday Day. So if you are living in a rural area of the country... Tomorrow is your day. So, if you're living in Manhattan, New York, this is not for you. This is not your day. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> this is not your day. Who who, would, who used to say, this is your day? Not yet, this is your life, but somebody would say, this is your day. I think that part, it sounds like something like Jack Bay would say, if you like to be queen for a day, you are queen. This is your day. This is your day. day. Mm -hmm. Okay, well. May 31st. I'm going to get to May 30th in a minute. May 31st. You're going to have to help me with this one, Walden. Mm -hmm. I will read it exactly as it was written. And you think I'm going to, you what think... you think upon grows day. Say again? Whatever you think about is going to grow.